lo and behold, we have the biggest patch in the history of Legends of Runeterra. The biggest schedule change to the game, which many players were looking forward to. But to me, it didn't really feel like a patch that I was looking forward to. The meta was in a very good state before this patch even took place. It's the first time in which there were many decks that were being represented in the overall pool. The last time this has happened was during the Bilgewater era, about 2 years ago. Now thinking about it, 2 years is a very very long time in the span of card games. Last week's episode where I talked about the swim drama with some female player seemed to be something which a lot of players were tuning into. Especially because I highly doubt that many content creators want to go so in-depth about such a drama. Most of these content creators probably are just talking about the game. They don't really know much about the professional aspects and the things that can blur the lines between reality and being a so-called pro in the game. A lot of players in this game, especially those who are more towards the side of an amateur, they have big dreams about playing this game competitively. They actually want to make something out of it. And Runeterra might not be the below and all to game to them. There's a chance that they might just take their ball and leave, go to a bigger game which has a bigger audience. And that's the issue, with a bigger game, a bigger audience, there'll be more eyes on you. And when there's more eyes on you, the chances of you messing up is even higher. The chances of you getting an audience and eventually being noticed gets even higher. And this is actually quite a saddening thing. In the past, people actually tuned in and bothered if you are good at the game. But now all you gotta do is show a pair of titties on twitch.tv and people just tune in. I don't remember a bunch of girls playing Yu-Gi-Oh in the past. In fact, girls were not even present when the boys were cut slinging. There was not even a female champion as I can remember. Most of the championships were won by males. The females were barely represented because they know that that's an avenue that they could not compete in. Because when you look at the old school card game players, they, they weren't the usual guys who didn't bathe or, you know, who's, who backpack around different countries and all that. A lot of these players who became champion in the past in Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh, they were actually quite reputable people in society. They actually have achieved some form of legacy that they have currently. I do know a couple of players who are doctors, lawyers and business owners now, including myself who come from the previous era, and this generation of players who are currently playing Runeterra, playing Hearthstone, that's about it. They are just card game players. With have, they have no real-life achievement that goes behind it. Most of these players are not people that you want to take life advice from. And I'll say that, apart from me, maybe some other Runeterra players might have some story behind their name. I do know some of these players personally and what they do in real life. Most of them don't share it. You really have to go in detail and talk to them. Because I do have some people on my podcast in the past. And I did talk to them and they do share with me what they do in real life. But in terms of everyone in particular, most of them are okay, I guess. Most of them are not really that fantastic in real life. But that's to say, because not everybody can be fantastic. That's why I would say that the biggest thing that you can do in Runeterra, or maybe the kind of content that you are absorbing is just try to be good at the game. That's all. If you want to take my life advice about being pro, then maybe you should look for me. I can actually give you advice for free just by tuning in and listening to what I have to say. And another thing that gets to people's head, especially for those that assume that they are professionals or they try to think that their opinion really matters, is that do the Twitter environment, especially social media and all that, I do know that Elon Musk is going to be buying over Twitter, which is, I don't think that it's that big of an issue. I think this is mainly just some form of news that investors are going to use to either sell or buy it. There's one guy I follow, it's called Peter Schiff. He did make a call that you should sell your Tesla shares because Elon Musk is 
buying Twitter. He's not wrong because how is a guy going to manage two companies? And most of all, how is he going to afford buying Twitter? For what, $40 billion or something? Is it 40, 40 billion around there, if I'm not mistaken? And that's the big issue with Twitter. A lot of these players think that just because that they are sharing stuff on Twitter and people actually bother what they have to say means that their opinion matters at all. Speaking from experience, those that spend most of their time rambling on and sharing their thoughts on Twitter are guys that you don't even want to pay attention to. This is just cheap talk. It's basically the kind of things that they mumble on when they are when they're sleeping, when they're dreaming, they basically that. That's why in the past, when I used to have a Twitter account, or when I'm done with Twitter, I'll just delete it. I won't even keep my Twitter account there. Because this, this is the kind of thing which eventually will bite you in the ass. When the time comes when you're no longer Twitter, no longer using Twitter, someone can just pull it up and can use it against you. Sometimes when I'm a bit free in the toilet, you know, I'm doing my business in the morning. My phone is usually with me. Because that's the only time of the day where I actually have time to scroll through and look at and wonder, hey, does my friend have a Twitter account? And then I'll just open this the browser, search his name on Google, and needless to say, I can easily find a Twitter account being associated with whoever I'm trying to find. And I can read through some of the tweets that they have. Sometimes it's borderline abusive, borderline ridiculous. Sometimes they're talking about things which are... You know, when people are young, they don't really think what they're saying. They don't think of the consequences of their actions. And the fact that they don't know that the internet is forever. And as for Twitter, there's a chance that you can go back and delete away everything. You can just deactivate your account and delete it. But most people don't. They don't think, think, that, think that far into the future. It's very it's the same concept as those that don't plan about their future. They just, you know, partake in excessive consumerism. And they just leave their Twitter account there. I can easily go through all the tweets. Let's just say that if I were to hire someone in the future, I can just pull up the Twitter account. I can download everything. Don't ask me how. This this like web scraping and all that. JavaScript, Python, you can easily write your own script and web script everything. And you can easily have all the tweets saved up. And potentially, you can use it against them, saying that, oh, you said this blah 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 in the past. Even a lawsuit, you can like pull out stuff from 10 years ago and use it against them. That's a, that's a funny thing about Twitter. And that's why a lot of people always ask me, hey, Hazelnuts, why is your Twitter deleted? Why is this and that? My friends, I am a formerly software guy. I'm currently uh, running my own business. There is no way that I will just leave stuff on the internet for people to use as ammo against my professional or personal life. And that's why I always tell people, no matter what you're doing, regardless of playing Runeterra, or you're currently a professional in a working environment, or you're running your own business, always, 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 guys, always protect your backside. Because everything that you do, right, there's consequences behind it. You might not feel it now, but maybe in the future you will. And this is a very big thing about consequences, which is uh, something which has been crossing my mind recently. Because like I mentioned, I've been writing a book for the past few weeks. And it's something got to do related to entrepreneurship and my experience being a business owner in the food industry. It really bothers me that a lot of people don't really care about their nutrition and all that. I see a lot of people eating fast food, drinking bubble tea. And this is the kind of thing that you might not feel the effects currently. But maybe when you're older, you start to feel you feel your body slowing down. You can feel the effects of all that processed sugar, all that good, all the evil toxins and all that. Trying to make your body groggy. And yeah, it's something which you can't really explain. Because I do know that as you're older, the more important or the more attentive you are to what you are eating, intaking. And all of this can be easily rectified if you were to identify this kind of issue at a younger age. And that's why I say that a lot of people don't really think about the consequences of their actions. It can be said when it comes to food, it can be said when it comes to playing Runeterra. It might even be said in their attitude that they have towards the game. They think that on Twitter, you know, they can say whatever they want. But there's one thing that you guys have to know is that internet is forever. And someone might be downloading your entire transcript of what you're saying and using it against you in the future. You look at the swim cancellation thing, right? It's, it's so saddening, man. 
this is not just swim getting cancelled. It is the fact that people will use any opportunity to get back at you. I'm serious. I'm not going to name drop anybody, but you just look around and you see, wow, there are people like jumping on him, jumping on the bandwagon and attacking him. Swim has done a great job in the game, but his actions towards that girl, okay, it's not forgivable and all that. It's a very personal matter that he has dragged himself into the game. That's all I can say. But the actions of the other people, when they get the chance to harm him, man, I'm telling you, if that kind of thing were to happen to you, it's pretty much the end of your career. And so the biggest takeaway that I want you guys to think about is that if this can happen to Swim, if you think that you have so-called friends in the game, my my friends, I'm telling you, man, the guys, you guys who are listening to this podcast, this might actually save your life in the future. These guys are not your friends. Any chance that they get to pull you down, any chance that they get, take out their silver bullet and shoot you in the heart, or, or take a sword and chop your head, they'll, t- they'll use the chance to do it. It's a very cutthroat word, my friends. It's a very cutthroat world. They're, they're really after your neck, after your livelihood, after every single thing that you even have. And that's all I can tell you, man. Really, protect yourself. And so let's talk about what I what I think about the patch. Why am I stuttering, man? And what I think about the patch. I think that this patch is one of the, the ones which is incredibly long and incredibly redundant. There are so many cut buffs in this patch, which is just... I really think that Riot has dropped the ball already. Most of these cards are just irrelevant. And so I just start with the first part, which is my thoughts on the new cards. And so the first one is Mount of the Vanguard. Okay, this card is pretty damn sweet. It is the biggest change to the Marcia. It is the buff that the Marcia has always needed. And it has finally got it after a year. I think that hurting Grand Plaza was one of the worst things that the Marcia has ever suffered from. Ever since Grand Plaza got hit, I can't really think of another Demacia focused strategy that actually worked. Like you think of every single deck in Demacia's arsenal, they only use four cards from the overall pool that is shared across everything. The first is Sharp Sight, the next is Single Combat, there's Golden Ages, and then there's Concealer Strike. So there is not really that many Demacia cards or Demacia focused strategies aside from the key cards that I just mentioned. When you look in the Yolos and Arms Demacia deck, it's just basically Sharp Sight, maybe Ranger's Resolve and Golden Ages and everything else is just Yordle's package in there. And that's how the deck function. It's just using the master's main identity of Golden Ages, together with the insane powers of Sharp Side, which is the only reliable counter to Elusives, and the only way that it can buff everything without costing too much mana. Ever since Sharp Side got nerfed, I still think that it is still a very negligent nerf. Because when you look at the master cards, or when you're including the master, their attack stat is always higher than their defensive stat. Which means that if you were to slap on sharp side, it's 100% going to clear off anything you're trying to block. Which is, in itself, pretty okay. Sharp side at plus 2, plus 2 is, I would say, bang for your buck. It's one of the best cards in the game. But at plus 1, plus 2, it just feels more fair. But it's the nerf which I didn't call. I think that that was a very short-sighted nerf. Because in the long run, the master does need these sort of cards. And you can't just justify printing a new version of a 2 mana buff from out of nowhere and you know expect everybody to include it in the deck. Well Sharp Side is the the the, the brief of life that it gave to the Marcia. The brief of life that it gave to overall playing even at the Marcia focus strategy. And finally we have Might of the Vanguard, which I believe that is the biggest buff to the Marcia ever since Sharp Side. Ever since that Grand Plaza got nerfed so badly to the ground. This is just, Grand Plaza still stings my mouth. I think the Grand Plaza was just the beginning of the end of Runeterra's dominance. Because Grand Plaza really gives the Marcia the ability to have an even chance after turn 3. Because the Grand Plaza is just so vanilla. The whole the Master strategy is just so vanilla. What you play is what you get. The whole deck doesn't have like randomness. It doesn't have the ability to swing the game from one end to the other. Unless you're running the harrowing version, which 
most players really don't play that version anymore. And that was pretty much the downfall of the Masia. And not mind the Vanguard, it's a guaranteed 3 mana for a 3-3, which is pretty sweet. No, not gonna lie, it's a 3 mana 3-3. There's no way you're gonna play it together with a... What's that card called? Tri-beam impopulator. There's, there's no way you're gonna do that, right? It's so ridiculous. What's even sweeter is the perfect curve. Man, that is... Okay, can you imagine turn 1 you drop... Squire. Or you drop a flight wing tracker. And then on turn 2 you drop maybe a Battlesmith. Turn 3 you drop a Vanguard Sergeant. And then turn 4 Bannerman. Turn 5 Bannerman. Turn 6, you know. Yeah, maybe you don't curve out that properly. You try to bank up your spell mana. And then on turn 6 you drop Might of the Vanguard. And then you buff up everything plus 2 plus 2 together with a Van, uh, together with the what they call Vanguard. Vanguard something that you that you drop from the three mana three three, everything plus a plus two plus two, and that is a game ender just on turn six. And speaking of buffs, Garen got buffed recently together with Swift Wing Lancer, which just got his elite keyword. And I think that this is basically the resurgence of the Masia. But how how late is it? The current meta is filled with so many amazing decks that the Masia's package is just very outdated and this feels very mulligan heavy if you don't draw into the right curve playing this deck it just feels very meh because when you look at Riven Noxious or Riven Victor the deck has burn potential it might not open the best hands sometimes you might not have Victor you might not have uh, the key cards in it like Ambush but you have the right amount of creatures on the board. You have the right amount of uh, free card generation that you get from all the token cards from playing this and that. You drop Ballistic Board, you always get a guaranteed 1 damage return. You drop the Blade Fragment creatures and you get copies of Blade Fragments in your hand. You get Poro Cannon, which is elusive damage. You have Neandroid in the deck, which is amazing, which buffs up together with all the randomly generated cards to the augment ability. And that's a package in which the game plan can change at any stage of the game. You have Mystic Shot, you have uh, Get Excited, you have Decimates. Which means that he has the burn package. That means that you don't really need to establish that much of a broad presence. All you gotta do is that deals sufficient enough damage in order to close out games with other spells. And in terms of other decks, I'm talking about Mono Shurima. There is the ability to get an Emperor's deck after you level up. Which recently got nerfed, which I'll get into later. Sometimes a combination of two cards, Rolling Sands together with uh, Zeref can just end game instantly, especially against those creatures which have one life, one health. And then there's Azir. Azir is just on its own, free generation, and then you have Endless Devout, which is a 3 mana 3-3, three, three, which when he dies, leaves a man landmark behind, it becomes the 3 mana 5-3 version after 3 turns, or you use the right of the arcane and you generate it. So when you think about all these decks that I just mentioned, the one thing that they have is that the cards really synergize together very well. Whereas for the Marcia, right, this buff come this buff has came a little bit too late. Because this overall strategy of the Marcia is is a compounding effect. It's like buying into a low-cost ETF or you're buying into an index fund. It requires you to compound and you make big gains. That means a small amount won't really make a difference. So you get what I'm trying to say. The Marcia does rely on a bit of a steady smooth curve like Scouts, which is the, the Marcia problem. One essential miss of the curve or like one potential wrong pass and your game plan is just bonkers. It's very predictable. The Marcia still falls under the very predictable kind of gameplay. Riven Victor does not. The Mono Shrima is quite predictable, but the way that they can reach... Turn 7 Ascended is just another another doozy. And then when you look at other decks like PNC Yodels, any form of opening hand, for as long as they can hit 4 regions, they can just Yodels in arms together with a board of 5 creatures, a bunch of elusives, and the game is just over. That's how powerful the new decks are. That's how flexible the new decks are. Which is the not, not the kind of flexibility that the Master has. The Master has never had that much flexibility until... 
the Plaza version came out and you have the Targon engine to generate you unlimited celestial creatures. But now the version of the deck is dead because of Aloof Traveler. Aloof Traveler is just bonkers as well. And so I'm, I, I'm actually thinking that this buff is great, but with the problems I just mentioned about Tomasa, it needing to have like the perfect curve. Other decks don't really need a perfect preset uh, cards in your, in your hand. Any combination of cards from 1 to 4, 1 mana to 4 mana, is just enough for you to have an overall game plan. But for Tomasa, you really require Bannerman Garen together with Mark of the Vanguard in your hand in order to do a substantial enough of threat to your opponent for them to even bother. And, okay, another fact about this thing is that I really enjoy the fact that Rally has gone untouched. Because I'm sure you guys have seen the patch notes. I've never been a very big fan of Riot hurting Rally. I think that Rally is a great mechanic. Especially if they were to do anything wrong to that mechanic. It's just going to be game-ending for the Masia. Because Rally is very integral to the identity of the Masia. I do know that it can be abused by other forms of strategies. Like I mentioned in a lot of these uh, the Master decks, they just include Sharp Side, Golden Ages, Constant Strike, and Single Combat. They don't really include any other card from the, the Master package. But rarely just one card or one form of mechanic which cannot be just snap your fingers and you nerf it, remove it from the game. And now with Golden Ages existing together with Mind of the Vanguard, it is the two card that might potentially save the Marcia. I might have to see the stats from the current meta and then make a decision whether this deck will be tier 1. But as of, but as of right now, I think that the current package on paper looks very strong. It might not be that strong compared to the other cards in the meta, but it is good enough to make the Marcia or the kind of like mid-range the Marcia playable again. Which is very rare because we have not had that in a very long time. And the next card that is being released into the game is For Glory. I also feel that this card is a little bit too late to be released in the current meta or in the current game state. Is it the sort of card that should have been released maybe two years ago, not now? There's just so many good cards in the game and Bando City being the strongest region just makes all these new cards look real bad. Because when you think of my of the Vanguard earlier when I did cover it, when you play it, it buffs everything by plus two, plus two. Like, no doubt your bot becomes incredibly big. And then for Glory, it's also the same thing. If you manage to hit Reputation, you can generate two Trifarian Glory Seekers for like three mana. And here's the issue of it. The orders in arms is just five mana. And the way that they can swarm the bot is so crazy. You can discard and then you summon uh, what's the thing called? Chompers, Flame Chompers. And then you have Yordle Captain and you buff everything plus one plus one. You have Lulu and discard options which can make you get a Flame Chompers on burst speed which is one of the sickest tricks and the reason why Lulu Fizz is tier one. You almost always win when you have 4 regions by turn 5, turn 6 along with a bunch of elusives or maybe even without the elusives just a bunch of creatures on the board gives you so much tempo that your opponent has to clear everything on stack they have to play like mystic shot single combat pokey stick all that before your other sin arm resolves in order for them not to die on that turn and even if they do not die on that turn they are forced to make incredibly bad trades to survive that turn and then let's say on the next attacking phase that you have, you can just cast another Yordles in Arms, redevelop the whole board, and you even have access to burn, such as Mystic Shot, and get excited to just close out the game instantly. Because you already done substantial enough of damage the previous turn with Yordles in Arms, which means that next time you were to attack, you just win the game on the spot. And that is how powerful the current decks are. And for Glory and Mind of the Vanguard, it's just too late to the party. Reputation is just too damn slow. Like maybe Noxious has the ability to deal like 5 damage quickly. They have like Trifarian Glory Seeker, they have... What other cards are? They have Ash, they have LeBlanc, all that. I think that outside of Ash LeBlanc, there's really no way that For Glory is actually going to be played any else. And For Glory is just 
Okay, it's okay. It's an okay card. It's a. It's one of the best cards to be released in Noxious. To be to be honest, Whispered Words is just too expensive, and the fact that Whispered Words only becomes useful after you attack so many times means that, for Glory, Whispered Words, uh, what incisive, tactician, they are just. Really good game closing cards, and that's what Noxious doesn't need. Noxious needs cards that are good on impact. Cards that you can play and slim become somewhat playable. And that's a big reason why I really like the discard package. The Lost Revenant, the Twin Souls, the the 2 mana 4 2 fearsome when discarded. I, I can't remember what's it called. But hold on, let me just rip it out. You get what I mean? I really like the discard the discard mid-range playstyle compared to the reputation playstyle. Because reputation is just too slow, man. I think reputation is just my gosh, hold on, let me just whip it out. Fallen Rider. Yes, the Fallen Rider package is way better than the reputation package of what? Transferring, Glory Seeker, LeBlanc, all that. Because Lost Soul and Fallen Rider, right? They are generation engines. You can use it in this card folder, draw one, and then you generate another copy. And they are free creatures, and Lost Soul mechanic is just so great. Okay, let's say. Twin Blade Revenant gets destroyed. Then Lost Soul gets regenerated back. You have Polo Cannon here and there. You can discard. You can drop them. You get excited. You have Rummage. You have basically every single tool that you need to ensure that those cards are active throughout the whole game. And Reputation just feels very meh. Because it requires you to have a drawn-out game for you to actually have some form of value. And that's a big reason why when you look at Silver decks, they don't really count too much as a reputation deck. Silver just run because it's a great form mana fire tree. It has spell shield, it has quick attack. Especially if you can slap on a vulnerable on your opponent and then maybe you can add a challenger with some of the buffs they can get from the treasures and all that. And Silver becomes a great engine. It does not rely on the reputation engine which many people or the designers of the game wanted it to. But then after a while the reputation engine just becomes insignificant because reputation just takes too long to activate you look at the game style it just closes like turn 6 turn 5 even most Mono Shurima just ends games on turn 7 you don't even have time to respond with for glory and I don't think that this card will even make Noxious tier 1 I think that Noxious is really tier 1 on its own yes the right amount of cards like Pirate Aggro or that and Pirate Aggro is so strong even without for glory there's no way you're gonna run for glory right it's to take it too long to even make it strong. Draven Scion is also another problem. The deck functions well without even for glory. And for glory, like I mentioned, is only gonna be useful in Ash Noxious. Apart from that, it's just one of those cards that people are just gonna forget. Because outside of okay, maybe, maybe, maybe. Outside of Shadow Owls and PNC, there's really no reliable way for most regions to deal with for glory. But aside from this fact, these regions don't really need to deal with it because by then the game will be over. And here's the big problem is that Ash Noxious has not been in the best stance in the meta. It's the sort of deck where people just not play anymore. Because no one really bothers about the Frostbite mechanic. I think that ever since Formidable came out, Frostbite just looks so bad. Because Formidable just used his health to smack. And Ash Nox is like, cancel your attack, but it does not cancel the health part. And so you're... <laughs> easily, man. You're formidable in the master just gonna make Ash Noxious look so bad in the game. And maybe if Mario the Vanguard tier turns the master tier 1 again, and Pantheon Yumi somehow becomes top 5 deck in the meta, maybe Ash Noxious will find a way to make it back. But apart from that, I really don't see the way that Ash Noxious will even become playable. And that means that 4 Glory might even just be forgotten by most players. In all honesty, I think that this card is a bit too late. And the final new card is Inner Beast. I do know that Udia has a very big buff coming into this patch, which I'll get into later. And now that Inner Beast exists, it's a very neat trick that Freelock has. It's a very, very neat trick. It's a burst speed, plus one, plus one, and it gives you a stance change. And there are many ways for, for you to get a zero cost stance change now which I will get into later in the later part of this podcast. And now we are going to talk about the meat and the potatoes, especially the 
buffs to the champions the game. First buff is Ash. Oh my gosh, I think that this is such an irrelevant change. Like, apart from Frostbite, how are you going to make creatures turn 0 attack? Like, without a doubt, I still think that this is a, this is an okay change. It's a sign where Riot has no idea what the hell they're doing. <laughs> What, what sort of change are you going to do to Ash that's potentially going to change the way that the meta is going to be played out? So I'm going to give this rating. I, okay, now I'm going to introduce a tier system for all the buffs and all the nerfs. I'm going to give it out of 10. And I think that this buff is at least going to be a bit significant because there are some cards that we, which I'm not even going to be talking about at all. And so for this buff, I'm going to give it a 2 out of 10. I think this is just ridiculous. And the next one is Garen. I think that Garen... Oh my gosh, Garen, Swiftwing Lancer, and Vanguard Squire. These three cards just got buffed together. And this is the big reason why I think together with Mark of the Vanguard and Golden AG is not getting nerfed. It's arguably, arguably the biggest buff in this patch. I think this might have the potential to turn the Marcia Tier 1. Again, after, after like close to 2 years. Because earlier I've been talking about the Marcia having only 4 cards of their overall region pool being represented across every single Demacia Slash deck. And now with this, Garen when on play gives everything a plus 1 plus 1. This is just great. Imagine you have 3 other creatures, that's a plus 3 plus 3 stat line. It means that your creatures get to efficiently trade properly on that turn. It means that you're most likely going to have very strong challenger creatures on the board. And it most probably means that Garen is going to have a very nice swing into everything if you were to challenge everything properly. Because no doubt the regeneration mechanic is great. But there's a lot of ways that the opponent can deal with it and potentially destroy it even though it can heal inside the back of the turn. Such as Ravenous Flock. I think Ravenous Flock is just so ridiculous. How is Ravenous Flock even still even in the game? This is like the passing comment that I always say when it comes to Ravenous Flock, which is a meme in itself already. And the biggest comparison I can think of when it comes to Garen's buff is that no doubt this is a great turn 5 play. It just seems that this buff is a bit too late. It seems like a Hail Mary from the developers or the team of Riot or the LOR team trying to salvage what's left of the Marcia. I do know that the player base has been dropping a lot. And this is actually the sort of thing where you should have come up with at least two years or one year ago. As of now, even though we are celebrating the second anniversary, it really takes me back and realize how much this game has fallen since then. I remember back in May 2020, this game was the shiny best thing of hope for the future of card games. But then now it just seems that the high time is over. And now this game is on its decline and it's just pulling all its stops to ensure that they don't bleed enough players out of the game. And so I am looking at this buff with a bittersweet taste in my mouth because I do know that even though Garen has been buffed, Swiftling Lancer becoming an elite is huge. Vanguard Squire becoming 3 cores from the start is great. But this is the sort of changes where if it happened earlier it would have been great. But now it's a little bit too late because most of the players who actually got to see the master in his peak are no longer here. And a lot of new players when they see this, they're like, oh my gosh, the Marcia is so strong, the Marcia this and that. My friends, the Marcia was way more stronger than it is now. It seems like a Hail Mary kind of buff in order to ensure that players get the chance to play the Marcia at its peak before this game goes all the way down. And speaking of its impact in the game, I think that if the Marcia does become tier 1 again Ash Noxious might be, might be back again because that's the most reliable counter against this deck and with Ash Noxious being the somewhat counter it really just doesn't match up against everything else in the pool Ash Noxious is just atrociously bad going into the overall aggro pool and so many combo finishes in the game so many burn decks the biggest problem with Ash Noxious is that it is a great mid-range counter. It can counter almost every single mid-range deck in the game. But now with the now with so many new tricks in the pool, there's like Mono Shurima, there's Darkness, there's even Yodos in Arms decks, there is 
so many forms of different burn. Draven Sion, PNZ Lulu. There's even Pirate Aggro, which is has always been Ash Noxious' biggest counter. There's so many great decks in the pool that if even if Ash Noxious were to find a way back just to counter the Marcia, just to counter Pantheon Uni, just to counter any form of the Marcia deck that's available, it just feels like a yeah, it just feels very sad. Because in the past, right, Ash Noxious used to be the unstoppable mid-range killing machine. And now it's just it only kills one form of the Marcia. Every other deck just eats it alive. And that's how much the our very outdated kit just doesn't really make that much of an impact anymore. In terms of Garen, I think I'll give this buff at least a 6 out of 10. I think it's a great buff. It does give me memories of the Marcia's dominance in the past. But then, yeah, it just has a bittersweet taste in my mouth. And Karma. I think Karma getting the additional spell at the end of the turn is something which is not really lacking Karma because the double spells is enough for the game to just end instantly. But now with this, I can just tell you, man, there is no way that games will ever drag till turn 10. The current pool of cards available in the game is just way better than anything Karma can do at turn 10. For example, if you're playing Darkness, right, you don't even need double Darkness to win the game. Like, it's great if you have X-Style Sentinel, and then you can like double cast the Darkness on the Nexus and onto one creature for like big stunts of damage. But the fact that Vega can be on the board as early as turn 4 and constantly buff Darkness to like 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 damage, and then together with Senna, which is a Darkness generating machine, Against Karma decks, it's like a sitting duck. Because Karma decks have not been known to be the most proactive ones. It's very passive, which means that your darkness can easily stack every single turn. It can easily buff up to like 6-7 damage easily. And then all you gotta do is just destroy creature, 3 creatures with spells with Senna. And then you cast, you just cast darkness twice because of the buffs to darkness every single turn it gets. And yeah, basically darkness is a way better Karma deck now. The whole reason you play Karma is because you want games to drag out. But what if the other decks benefit from you playing passively? For example, you play against those ambush decks. You play passively, what's the point? They can just easily get all the cards they need, buff out everything in Aukman, and boom, that's it. Game over. And not to mention there has been a new rule change to the game, which means that Azure Karma will no longer be... Man, Azure Karma will no longer be a thing that much. And so I can say that the, the the gameplay updates has nerfed Karma that this change doesn't really matter at all. And that's why I say that going to this patch, I think that there's so many cards that Riot has buffed that does not even matter at all. Because no one's ever going to touch these cards again. Maybe other than Garen, Nasus, and Udyr. And so for Karma, I'll just give this buff a 3 out of 10. The randomness is great, but the games don't last till turn 10 anymore. It just seems that they're trying so hard to make all these older cards playable that people will actually look at it again, but it's just so easily forgettable. And the next one is Nasus. It's literally a one step forward, two steps back. I think this is a very big mistake that Riot is doing. I have no idea why they're giving Nasus fearsome again. Nasus is just damn strong. Like maybe Atrocity isn't played that much. Okay, the big reason why Atrocity isn't played that much is because Shadow Arts is not even needed anymore. You can just run Battle City. You can just run the new form of the spicy... Uh, Targon deck or the spicy PNZ deck and that's pretty much it. And Ryan is just trying to bring back all the old archetypes that used to work and then create like a battle royale where the meta just filled with everything. It's a great move I would say to make players interested in playing the game but Nasus is just not great anymore. And and this buff is just you know if, if you can do this to Nasus then probably you should just bring back Grand Plaza as well. That's my that's what I'm thinking. And so for this buff, I'll probably give it like a one out of ten. If you're if you're literally gonna bring back fearsome, then you know it just makes the entire nerf that you did in the past pretty much useless. And Udia. Udia finally got synergy to get a stance change. I always felt that the the damage that it does, that you do over five turns is just doesn't even fit into the overall strategy that you're trying to play with Udia. And now with that, you gotta just play 3 stance change. And to get the fact that you can discount it. Okay, Udia has, I would say, a very big buff. And I can honestly say that this might be the biggest change to the overall meta. 
Because I always think that Udia has a very good chance with the ability to get fiercer, with the ability to regenerate, with the ability to do one to everything. And he's obviously very powerful synergy with Scar Grounds. And his ability to pair up with any other self-buff deck like Akshan, Lee Sin, with Sejuani. This makes Udia, you know, very threatening. And the level up is so, 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 so easily fulfilled now. And I can tell that it's going to be an actual threat in the meta game. And so for this buff, I can easily give it a 7 out of 10. Almost as good as the one given to Garen. Udia one is a good step in the right direction. The Garen is just Hail Mary. And let's talk about the patch notes on the on the nerfs. This is the one which uh, I can say that they have done a really good job. Especially for 4 out of the 5 cards that I'll mention. First one is Ambush. We all knew that this was coming. Elusives have always been a very problematic keyword. In fact, when you look at all the tier 1 decks, it's always an elusive strategy that is revolving around every single tier 1 strategy. Be it Heimer, be it Ezreal Karma, be it all forms of like PNZ Lulu, even PNZ Lulu. When you look at the deck, you strap away everything. This is just basically TFs without any crazy shenanigans. TFs used to be so crazy that people just go nuts. Because all you gotta do is just generate a bunch of what's it called that? Bubbling wiggle fish. And then you have uh Nimble Poro. Is it Nimble Poro? Or, or something, whatever Poro. Much of elusive cards. You have Fizz, you drop Mind Melt, and everything becomes like 7-7 seven, seven on turn 5, turn 6. <laughs> and the game just ends like that. With ambush, right, you just give one key card, like Victor. You you drop on all your buffs, you drop your all your augment buffs, you drop all your blade fragments, and then you play ambush. It's a 10-10 elusive victor with quick attack and overwhelm, which means that even if you were to block with the uh, elusive minion, you're just gonna get smacked for like easily 9-8-9 damage. Repeat it over the next few turns. All this deck needs is just two combat phases and the game just ends. Sometimes if you have to play well, you can end it in one turn because you have burn in your hand. And with ambush nerf, picking it to 3 mana, it is very fair. It just gives this deck a lot of lesser flexibility because 1 mana is very, very, very... It makes a big difference in combo decks. Really, really does. And I can say that this is one of those nerfs where it does matter to Raven Victor in terms of if a player is skilled, he will still kill you in one turn. But to most of these inexperienced players, they often have to rely on a lot of funny funny tricks. And now with this buff, I can... Well, I mean, now with this nerf, I can say that River Victor is finally in good hands. But the next nerf is the one that really is a long time coming. I always thought that Ballistic Bot has been one of those cards where it's just not weak and not average. It's just above average to instantly strong. It's a lovely change. It's the kind of nerf that I always had in mind. To clarify, right, I don't think that Riven Victor or like Riven decks are overall broken. I just think that Ballistic Bot's ability to generate a free card that can be used for discarding, which can be used for dealing damage, is the big reason why a lot of these PNC decks even work in the first place. Even Driven Azure in the past wouldn't work as well without Ballistic Bot. You wouldn't even get the ability to discard stuff with your willing access to give it a free stack onto Draven's level of condition. It wouldn't give you the ability to stump dredger and discard a free fodder to draw one. It's one of those cards which it adds to a whole new layer to Zoe and make sure it counts as a new randomly generated card or a new card that you are played out of the 10 that it needs to level up. An ambush together with Ballistic Bot is a very good two card nerf towards PNZ. These are the two cards which I think are the most problematic and this is a kind of obvious change that needs to happen because no other region has such two powerful cards which has impacted the game that quickly. Especially Ballistic Bot has been around for a year plus. And this card Ballistic Bot is the big reason why a lot of PNZ decks are, or PNZ strategies are even good in the first place. It doesn't make P uh, Ballistic Bot bad. It just makes sure it doesn't start with one attack, which means that on the turn that it summoned, it's pretty much useless. And if you were to get rid of it, you will do trading. It takes at least two turns for it to have two attack, which is something which uh, is great. That means it doesn't become a threat until you play two randomly generated cards or two creator cards in that sense and the third card 
buried SanDisk. This deserves a round of applause. There was no better way to make Monoshima well balanced because if you were to nerf, you were to nerf Zero, if you were to nerf Azir, it just makes you feel bad. Adding two turns onto Barry Sundays basically, when you level Ascender, it gets triggered by nine instead of ten. It's great, which means that essentially delaying it by two turns, which is a very good step in the right direction. And I think that this is one of the ways in which Monoshima is now a little bit more balanced. No doubt it's still a great deck. Maybe you try to balance it out by playing a Clockwork Advancer or something, the 2 mana 2-2. Two two. But it just hurts the curve so much. And this is, I would say, the biggest change in the overall thing. Together in Ambush and Ballistic Ward. These 3 cards are a way to balance out everything to ensure that every single region can be represented well. And the fourth card, the Bando Tree, I think that this nerf doesn't really make any sense. Because this card shouldn't even exist in the game in the first place. Like Fiora, I understand. Popping four cards is great. It's actually quite hard to achieve. In fact, you have to make a whole deck that revolves around the Fiora strategy. If not, it wouldn't even work in the first place. And with the Bando Tree, all you gotta do is just... The, the new change is that Bando Tree has to be on the board. And it has to see 10 different cards being played. It might seem very slow, but it factors in both sides, you and your opponent. Like, no doubt it puts a clock to the game, but I think this is a sort of card where it really enforces very unhealthy play patterns, and it shouldn't even exist in the first place. Fifth card, Yodos in Arms. Okay. This is by far the most light-hearted and casual change that I've seen to Yodos in Arms. Goddess with Arms is potentially the biggest card in the overall Bendo City arsenal. And the nerf to Yodos in Arms is great. But I think that it's not just Yodos in Arms which is the problem. But now you think about it, right? The the, the Master version heavily relies on Bendo City Mayor and Gleaming Lantern in order for it to function properly. And the one thing that they have in common with the PNZ Lulu deck is Yodos in Arms. And so we remove away all the common, all the cards, or the pool, and you look at the common denominator, it's most likely Yodos in Arms. And with this nerf, I sort of understand, and I think that this is a great nerf. But the thing is that every single creature now does a 1-1 stat, which means that if you have 4 or 5 creatures, which is the most obvious time for it to pay why, why Yodos in Arms, you're losing a 5-5 stat. And this makes a lot of elusive lose the 1-1 one, one that they are additionally going to deal. Your Nimble Poro is going to deal 1-1 one, one less, and most likely you're going to have like Fizzle and 2 Nimble Poros, which means that before turn 5, turn 6, you have to deal at least 5 to 6 damage in order for you to close out the game instantly. Because now that you are losing 1-1 one, one for each, you are losing 3-3, three, three, which means that you are not going to kill your opponent if you have not done damage prior. And this is a big yikes. Like no doubt PNZ still has Mystic Shot, get excited and all the burnt cards. But this really makes Yodos in Nam deck require a little bit more skill to play. And I would say that this is a great change I'd like to see. And I would basically give Yodos in Arms it's still going to be playable. I think that Lulu Fizz is still going to be tier 1. Bando City together with the Marcia is still going to be tier 1. I think that that deck will find a resurgence again. And we have to see what happens in the meta. Mental City is sort of that way, if everybody sleeps on it, it's still going to be damn strong. Because even though Yoros in Arms got nerfed, the fact that Lulu together with a Poro Cannon discard Flame Trompers into a 4-4 is still a very powerful combo for 0-0 zero, zero cost, a very big tempo swing that still exists in the game. And that's one thing that a lot of players have to keep in mind. This is a sort of combo where no other deck in the game exists that has this type of leverage. The Marcia spends all their mana on the turn that they play anything. A lot of these decks have to consume every single mana to drop stuff. And as for PNZ Lulu, it's just a whole different ball game. And the Master version has a chance to flood the board without spending that many mana. You can drop Gleaming Lantern and then you drop Grandfather Fae. And basically you still bang on Smell Mana. That's how insane the deck is. And that's why I think that even though Yodos in Arms got nerfed, there's still many ways they can treat the overall gameplay. You can just storm the board and attack again and then you have spell shield on your hungry owl. And I think that the next patch will most likely hit into that. We have to see. And as for gameplay updates, burst passing, I think that's no big deal. 
I don't understand why players are making so so big of a uh, hoo-ha with that. And cast merging you play. A lot of these decks got a lot of buffs like Fizz, Heimer, and Lux. Ezreal decks are bad, but the one bad thing is that Karma will not be playable again. As in, Ezreal Karma will not be playable. And all in all, I think that this game is just... Trying to hang on the team thread. These are my final thoughts on the game. On this game, on this patch. They're just trying to hold on to whatever's left of this amazing card game that it was two years ago. Now it just feels that the love is gone and they are no longer invested in this game anymore, which is kind of sad. What I think is that the Marcia will most likely be great, which means that Frostbite is going to make a comeback. Mental City is still going to dominate because the Marcia version is still very playable, together with the Lulu Fizz version, is still damn strong. My top 5 predictions of the meta is going to be the Master Elites. This is going to be the deck where a lot of players will commit. Mono Streamer will still be good because everybody loves game ending on turn 7. Pantheon Yumi will be great because Barriers and Fated is the obvious counter to a lot of decks in the game. It has access to sharp side, which means that a lot of, sh- uh, a lot of the uh, elusive strategies will work against Pantheon Yumi. Udia decks might be experimented a lot. Astro Killing will make a comeback because that's the one deck which counters pretty much all the Demacia and Ash Noxious decks. And then Feel the Rush. Feel the Rush will be the counter to Astro Killing. And that's pretty much it. I think that this will probably be a Rock Paper Scissors meta again. It will still be a very diverse meta like it was in the previous patch. And that's why I think that Runeterra in terms of the meta is in a great state. But in terms of players adopting it again, I don't think it will. I think this game is on a steady decline downwards and there's no way that Riot can save it anymore. It's just it's just free fall at this point, which is kind of sad. Because when I made a comeback to this game like two months ago, I not two months, one and a half months ago, I thought it was Shining Bastion of Hope. This game is still surviving. But then now when I look about it, it's not really that many players left. And I would say that I'm only one of the last few players from the previous era that's still in the game. That is still holding on strong when everyone has left. And that's all I have for today, guys. And that's game.